Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Reported by and do not reflect those of the Evening Rush Network. Viewer's discretion is advised. Hi, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Chris and Nina podcast. I am Chris. And I'm Nina. Good evening. Yes, Nina, how was your week? Um, what's What's been happening? It's, a lot is happening. A lot is happening. Super excited to see you guys and to be here with you. Uh, we got a lot of good feedback. We want to thank everyone for all the good comments, um, feedback, and simply just uh, talking over the show and asking questions. We love when people ask questions, and we're here for you. We're here to share with you and, of course, guide you if needed. I know you're not going to just bury the lead. How was your daughter's birthday party? Come Ooh. on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, summer. First day of summer. Okay. Uh, she had her birthday, a bunch of birthdays and celebrations. Thank God for uh, all the good things in our lives. So and she's a teenager, right? Yes, she is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. teenagers so. are no joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, yeah, especially yes. teenage girls. Soon by you. I got a lot of years to go. I got a decade. It goes yeah. quick. So rest assured, you'll get there. Yes, indeed. Um, so I, um, let's see, this week was uh, the last of my daughter finished school, got a report card. Oh, and um, yeah, and um, been working on some deals on um some some deals, a lot of deals, deals in the background, making phone calls, working. Yeah. Yeah, busy, busy week. It's, it feels like it was just yesterday we shot the first podcast and now we're here again on this on the second podcast. Yeah, in a different place, a different week. Yes, yes. Fresh start. So yeah. here we go. Here we go into the podcast world and sharing our real estate lives and yeah. Yeah, so did you have any interesting stories that happened to you last week? Um, um, last week have definitely been busy also because it's the end of the, it's the, end of the month. Sorry, so it's the end of the month. And um, in a lot of different businesses, the end of the month makes a lot of difference where you want to close out as mm. much as you can uh, to get it out of your way. Uh, and real estate happens to be uh, the reason for taxes you know, um, the proration of uh, calculation, calculations of things like um, new uh, charges against properties that you want to make sure that are not going to accrue. Um, in the side of banks, they also want to make sure that they close out specific portfolios. Um, 
to ensure that everything gets closed out and cleared. They also can't rush so much. So, of course, who has all the you know, pressure um, of all those files? Us, the brokers, yeah. the agents, the attorneys, uh, clearance officers of title companies, where they really have to rush everyone and everything in the way that they need it closed. And you have to really drop other things to ensure that you make it by the cutoff time, which is the end of the month. You know, it's almost like they say, oh, um, out there in the streets, you mm-hmm. are easily being seen uh, when it's closer to the end of the month to get the ticket against the yeah. driving. <laughs> and, then uh, also, from experience. and also having a holiday in the, in the, in the sort of in the middle yeah, of the month yeah. also creates more pressure because you have less time because of the holiday. Yeah. And then we're about to enter another holiday. So yeah. that's even less time when we go into July 4th. Yeah, but it's fun. July, I love July 4th. Yeah, fireworks. Yeah. What do you normally do July 4th? Normally, we go see the fireworks on the beach. Okay, where? Yeah. Over in Long Island. Um, oh, you go out to Long Island? Yeah. There's a very nice spot in Long Island for uh, the fireworks, that's for sure. Over by Great Neck, my hometown, that's where okay. I grew up. Uh, we used to go there, even when I moved out of Great Neck, we still used to drive back there and view the Macy's. Um, fireworks. So it's really, really nice to those of you who are traveling July 4th and want to take the kids, family members. It's really nice. Um, I think it's called uh, Steamboat uh, Park. Steamboat Park. It's, uh, it's all the way in, uh, in Great Neck. So let me get this straight. So yeah. you lived in Great Neck and then you moved to Brooklyn. Yes, I did. Uh, which do you prefer? So growing up in Long Island is, um, is different than growing up in Brooklyn. As a kid, we did have the option to, um, to live either in Queens, actually, or in Long Island. And just for the simple fact that my parents wanted us in private schools because they wanted the religion to continue, so they um, were looking for private schools. And at the time, we're talking... 20 years, more than 20 years ago, uh, to place in some schools, they didn't really want us to go to public schools. Um, nowadays, things have changed. Um, there's a lot more cooperation by the city. They, there are more inspection and really supervision mm. of uh, higher levels. So things are different now. But back in the day, it was really hectic. So we lived in a tiny, tiny house in Long Island where um, my parents were able to put us in good schools. Um, they, yeah, so Long Island, growing up in Long Island um, is different because everything is more suburban. Uh, it's not the city. So everywhere you go, you can't just go. You have to have it prearranged. Yeah. Overall, as a kid, you have to, you know, ensure that you, you need have car service. <laughs> so it's uh, more um, Mom it's and dad far and, yeah. So that's Long Island. But as for comparing it to the city, to the other uh, boroughs of New York, you um, you're more independent when it comes to the city side. But in Long Island, you're more dependent on your um, on your parents. But yeah, we grew up over there mm-hmm. and. I thought of putting my family out there and doing it together with my husband. Um, but I just love Brooklyn. I love the city. I'm more of hands-on street type person. Um, 
So that's why we chose to do it in Brooklyn, also because the opportunities were more available. Um, and I love it. So, love so when you're out in the streets working, which is like every day, yeah. what's your favorite section to be in a Brooklyn? Oh boy. Okay, so section, I don't know if it's so much for section, like it's the aim, like what am I going after? So mm. if I have my day planned, I could be, by the way, I could be at least in three different boroughs in one day, which sometimes happens to even be fine, right? Yeah. But uh, it all depends on the day schedule. If I go and meet up with homeowners who are seeking uh, help in foreclosure or simply sell their home, or if it's an investment groups like this week also that you happen to know. Yeah. Um, so it's different schedule. Um, so as for preferred, if you ask me what I love to do, I love to be in the streets and then speaking to random homeowners who um, are maybe cleaning up in like uh, places that are less beautiful uh, for them to to be able to keep up. And they always have to make sure that there are no violations if the house is not in the yes. best condition. So those who are out there, I reach out and I you know introduce myself. And they like that because they say, hey, if that lady has the guts to just come up to me and speak to me, she'll reach out to everyone to sell my home. Yes. So that's really my favorite part of working. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I prearrange my, my appointments. Sometimes the agents want me to go along with them. It's always fun to go in groups or, you know, with another individual regardless because you know, you help each other. You can't so do it all. you talk about the agents that you have that work with you. What what agency is this? Okay, so we are uh, Five Borough Realty. Okay, located in uh, Brooklyn. We have uh, small spots in different uh, places of the five boroughs. So we are um, pretty hands-on. We are more. Maybe I shouldn't say more. We are both with sellers and buyers. Uh, some of us are only with sellers. Some of us are only with buyers market. Um, and we're all over the place. But, yeah, it's fun. Don't you think? Yeah, together. Yes. yes, indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, we're five borough realty. We are um, available many hours of the day. We work long hours. And we're online. And we have many, many listings. If you look us up, if you're looking for a single family, multifamily, commercial, um, large fam single family, small single families, we have something available for everyone. Um, and also we offer different services, like um, we we do free uh, complimentary, not free complimentary appraisals. So we let you know what your house would go for in the market if you do decide to list we do that complimentary so you contact us we'll come to your house and we'll have a conversation and we'll bring um we'll look at your house first and then also we'll get back to you with the comps and what your house would sell for in this current market also we do something called cash for keys um that we help um homeowners with um because selling a house with tenants sometimes is very complicated. So selling a vacant home, it's less complicated. So that's, we have a program called um, Cash for Keys. Do you want to, you know, did I say enough on that? Or is there... The Cash for Keys um, pretty much speaks for itself. You want to solve your problems with the tenants currently residing in, their, in your home. Um, it's fair for them 
to have the time, uh, the help, the guidance, and sometimes you can't give it all or any of it. So the only outcome um, that you could have eventually to get them out, obviously, is to use money. Um, you do you use money to offer it to them, uh, to use in other, to try to find other resources, um, to find other homes, to hire help in terms of realtor. Um, not everyone likes to um, to help a a rush tenant. They always say, you know, call me as a realtor. Hi, I have to move now, and this is what I have, and please find me a place. It sounds like someone is evicting you. So I totally get and understand yeah. the tenants. It's a very bad uh, situation. Um, the position of a tenant needing to move in most cases um, is time, really time consuming. You need to just come and plan a plan together with them. And the communication is the most important thing. If you decide to sell your home and you know that you have a tenant, that likes the home, right? We're not even talking about tenants that want to leave. We're talking about good tenants that you gave your award to when you initially gave them the lease. You say to yourself, hey, how am I going to tell them that they need to go? So in some cases, you don't have to tell them to leave. Sometimes you can tell your home with them. Yes, and it's all about it's all about communication because you need them to let you you need to go into their apartment for inspections for appraisals um and then also someone that's buying a home is going to want to see every inch of the property when you're spending uh 500 600 700 dollars on a home you want full access so we need to keep the communications mm-hmm. com- communication line open so that they are in on everything and the transfer, you get a warm transfer instead of a cold transfer or a hostile transfer, which makes the selling process very complicated. Yeah. Communication so, yes. is number one. Um, so go ahead. No, so last week we spoke about um I, I, we spoke about everyone owning a home. Yes. Now when you own a home and by the way, that yes. was a huge um, impact. On some of the younger crowds, right? We yes. got some calls, and yes. it was super exciting how uh, people wanting to own a home. Yes, they don't know the simplicity of being able to purchase because everyone is afraid, and I don't know of what. If you have the right guidance and information, it's an easy process. You, everyone should own a home. This is really ABC when it comes to building your family. After all, you want to be safe and all, and you don't have to move every month. But guys, please do own a home and look out. For and now, options. and now, when you own a home, it's it's not necessarily a, it's it's valuable because you control your own payments and you can restructure your payment. You have flexibility, but it's not quite an asset. When you purchase your second home and you don't live in it, and it's not a vacation home. Vacation home is also not an asset. When you purchase a home that's someone that you're renting to someone, and and in essence, they are paying the mortgage, then you start to build equity, and then you have an asset. And then you have income that, that you normally wouldn't have because you're renting to 
one, two, or how many, however many people, depending on the rental property that you have. But the thing is that when you start to buy properties, you start to create a legacy. You start to create something tangible that you could pass down to your kids or to your brother or sister or however you set up your your um your will or your trust. And what most people don't do is they don't set this. They don't set. They but they take the steps to buy. Yeah. And they own these investments, but it's scary that people do not set up a trust or do not set up, um, they own an LLC, but they don't assign it to someone. So if something happens, guess who gets the property? Yeah, sure. You know, that's what it is. Guess who gets the property? You don't know. And then all this equity, all this money, all this gets controlled by the state. Yes. Also, the, the trust, when you set up the trust, that's a huge tax benefit. I didn't even know that up until a couple of years ago. Um, trust is a very big tax benefit. Um, you want to look into that. Oh, we're getting a call. Who's calling us today? Good evening. Hi, good evening. Good. Hi, I had a question. My name is Paul C., and I'm actually an investor. Okay. How are you doing? Uh, great, great. And I was listening to your podcast, and I really enjoyed the conversation around legacy and building a legacy. But one of the questions I was thinking about was around how do we build the trust with the team? And how do you get that trust to realize? Because a lot of times you want to buy a home, you want to feel comfortable. I mean, when I first got in the business myself, you know, they walked me through the process of buying a home, and I felt like the team that I was with, I trusted them. I wanted to do that. They helped me with the lender. And help me with my next, my next home. And once I walk through the process with them, I kind of learned the whole process. So can, how do you build that trust? Because that's really what it's really about. We always think about the commission, what they're going to make off of me. But how do we build that team and really coach them through the process? Um, do you know enough? Well, you answered it. Like when you're in the street, you don't talk about commissions, right? When you're talking to just people in the street and you're meeting potential home buyers or home sellers, the commission is something that just that, yes, you get down to when you get to contract and you solidify that they want to sell, but you don't, you don't know what they're going to do. So number one is what's their plan? What's their goal? Um, you ask questions, you know, Okay, so if you're selling your home, where, where are you going after you sell your home? What, what is your plan? Where do you want to be? Right? You target, you don't target a price for because that has that's not in the equation. The equation is their goals for what where they want to be after they sell their home. The same thing when somebody wants to buy a home. Where do you want to live? Are you starting a family? Um, are schools important? Um, there's just very there's family values that comes into personalizing, buying or selling a home that has nothing to do with money, right? Once you get the answers to these questions, then you get to the contract, the percentages, the sales price, the, the important part after you get through the personal part. Am, am, am I correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the part of the trust, um, you were mentioning the lender, if you need to... Um, to notify them. I do know that, um, as I said, just a couple of years ago, I, I learned more about the uh, trust and 
how the uh, trust put together and the benefit it gives you and the authorities that you need to follow and the way you need to file the taxes and how the members of the family um, are having part in it. So that is something you should totally discuss with your both accountant and attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, and as for the will, I was actually a witness the other day um, this week at a will signature. And the will is being done by your attorney. And you discuss all those uh, provisions with the attorney. And then you can choose to have the original uh, by you or by the attorney's office. Um, you And then I asked the question, you know, similar to what you were referring to, who you need to notify, right? So do you need to notify? Do you have to notify? Or what the right way to go? So the attorney actually told me that um, they could record it, you know, in public records. You could record your trust. Uh, I'm sorry. You could record your will, okay? But it's not really... Um, something people do because people tend to change their will. So once you record one and then you change it and you want to record another one, that may supersede the previous one. But then that gives you a legal opportunity to fight um, which is the correct one, whether you changed it and if the first one was um, recorded in error. So it gives a whole other, you know, ball game. So you don't record it. You leave it by your attorney's office. You could also save it to yourself. I just personally wouldn't keep it because we have all these uh, paperwork that we always work with. But definitely your attorney and the will, the trust, everything goes through that. And, and I think it's important that you speak with, like, when I advise or when I work with someone, I am not everything. I'm not your attorney. Um, I'm not your accountant. I am not advising you on stuff that you should really seek out a professional in those areas. And so if you're working with an agent and they're pushing you in a direction towards people or steering you to um, someone they work with, like, oh, this guy, I don't recommend that. I recommend people like you can recommend someone, but it's uh, the choice has to be theirs, the clients. And that's how you build trust because you're not, steering them into then when things go wrong who's the common denominator oh the agent the agent record this this and then it starts to point and i i don't believe in it i i would like i like people to make their own choices put together their own team and i'll be a part of the team yeah not me saying hey you should go there and then you should go there no i don't i don't believe any agent should do that you can make recommendations but i don't I, I tend, I like, I like, I can recommend, but I would like for you to make your own choice and your own decision. That way we can have an honest conversation every step of the way. Did we answer your question, uh, Paul? Yes, you did. Thank you very much. Everything's okay, good. Thank you for listening, Paul. Thank you for the great question. So, um, so pretty much, um, Pretty much when we are building legacy, when we are buying multiple properties, every time you buy a new property, you do have to change your will, change, um, and you do have to put, it's it's great to put in the LLC as well. And it's it's also great to assign it to someone 
in your family or whoever you choose to handle your responsibilities, God forbid, if something happens. And so that's why it's important because when you're picking up investments, you're creating legacy, you're building wealth. And then I've seen so many times, it may sound simple, but so many times I have seen in my family, I've seen um, kids, um, I have a cousin that, um, a father had a whole bunch of properties, he got sick, and then afterwards he didn't assign it to anyone. And then the family was fighting over the properties and it just, it got really ugly. And that's just, it's just a terrible, and there's a lot of estates that are just left for the courts to decide where's the properties going, where, you know? And then on top of that, who's managing and who's, and it's just very complicated. And you could avoid all of that and protect your loved ones by simply assigning a, was it a grantor for the property. So it's it's very simple, a simple thing to do to protect your legacy when you're when you're building your empire, so that when you're no longer here, your empire can continue to build. Yeah, many of the times, you know, the estate situation um, stop, stopping you in the 99th second. Um, when letters are not updated. So sometimes people put together an estate and they don't realize that they need to be updated every six months. Who knows? You know, you get the letters from court. No one guides you or tells you how to go about it. Um, I had so many files that were ready to close. And then at the last second, you know, the legal team, either the legal team or the title company didn't, really mentioned that they needed to update it. So who really knows, right? So it's always important when it comes to states to ensure that you're good to go. Sometimes you don't even have to go through the probate, you know, probate in the surrogate court. Um, You don't have to go through it if there is no will and you're a direct heir, H-E-I-R, you know, when you're a direct heir. Um, you could simply close with what we call an affidavit of heirship. And some people don't even know that. So some people do go through probate proceeding when they don't even need to. And that just kills two, three, sometimes four months of the time they could have closed. So um, getting an advice from a good professional. Now, when I say good professional, sometimes could be the attorney plus another individual like a realtor who had a lot of experience because um, attorneys, of course, it's their job. So we can't really blame them when we go and do the probate. They do it. They need to get it done and they deal with the court proceeding and the paperwork. And sometimes we don't need it, but who are they to tell you what to do when they don't know why you're doing it, right? Because sometimes there are houses involved. Sometimes you do it for money in the bank. Sometimes you do it for relocating and ensuring that the other individuals of the family will not have to do it. So it's important to ask questions because that saves you a lot of time. Um, And that's for the estates. Now, what happens if, okay, so someone has an estate of, let's say, seven properties and they didn't assign it to anyone, they're not married, um, and... They can't reach anyone to take over the state. What happens? So we're actually going to talk more about the state and the way you purchase it and where it goes. Um, we're going to have a quick um, uh, break in about three minutes. But overall, when you have nothing um, 
filed, okay, when an estate is left with no heirs or um, anyone that was handling the estate, like an admin, um, it goes to the um, to the city. When there's no one around uh, to apply for it and the individual didn't have uh, family members, then yeah, it goes to the city. If you only knew how many times that was the case. And it gets auctioned off, am I correct? Um, so it goes to the city, yeah, and then it goes through like the taxes. Um, uh, it goes through some stages in court to ensure. They also need to give the time for others to step up in case there is a family member or someone related to the estate. So they have to allow this time for individuals to step up and you know file. But once it's by the state, it's really hard to get it out because where were you? How come, you know, no one yeah. reached out. So that's something that um, you want to handle before God forbid something happens to you. If you own properties and you know that there are no family members around, you may want to get it done before. Um, put a will together. Simply reach out to an attorney and ensure that you have a way after your way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Oh, listen, it's important. You yeah, it is. You, you have to protect. Sure. A lot of a lot of times we don't realize that we have to set this. You know, it's not the greatest thing to want to set up, but it's necessary to protect your family and to protect your investments. And, you know, I just don't like the fact that you can build something and then the city just tears it down. Yeah. You so know, you and so. want to build your legacy um, in the right direction. So no one is going to be picking up your property. Uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much it for for you and your responsibility on your uh, property in real estate. You know, not only that, they auction your stuff. They have like, have you ever been to um, an auction where someone passed away and then they auction off the stuff in the house? They have like, you know, they have these uh, sales. Yeah. Um, I've seen them in Long Island. I don't know where they do it at in Brooklyn, but where someone like they have paintings, they have, and they auction off the deceased um Artifacts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're so, gonna have uh, a break right now. You guys are gonna see us very soon. Please don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Yes, we will. Looking to podcast shows and do not know where to start? The Evening Rush Network can help you with that. Call us at 929-441-2417 or email us at theeveningrushnetwork at gmail.com for dates and prices. We got you for all your podcast needs. The Evening Rush Network. Tune in, subscribe, and share. Hi, good evening. Welcome back, and thank you for watching us this evening and um, to stay tuned. Um, so now we're going to talk about the steps of the real estate process of when you are shopping around and you see various houses and you make offers and you get you get an offer accepted. What happens after that? So we're going to refer now to as if you have a realtor. Okay, we're not talking about direct buyers. So in case you have an agent representing you, uh, you first and foremost before. You go ahead and um, sometimes you see, sometimes you are being represented by an agent and not all the time that agent is available. 
happened to me many times when the buyers call me directly and they tell me, oh, you know, I'm looking for this house um, that you have for sale. Um, and then they ask me the questions. And then only after, like later on in that conversation, they tell me, oh, I have an agent. And I said, okay, you know, they either need to be on the line um, or you go ahead and explain it to them. Otherwise, you need to go and repeat yourself uh, yeah. to the agent with all the information. Now, there are those agents who tell you, oh, you have another agent? No, you didn't say from the get-go, then I'm not accepting, blah, blah, blah. That's not, uh, you know, how we should work um, because buyers don't really know how things should go. So, okay, so sometimes they don't tell you just so that you speak to them. Because sometimes when they tell you right from the start, oh, I have an agent, and a realtor tells you, oh, have the agent give me a call. They don't even speak to the buyers. Mm. So if you do like a property and you are being represented by an agent, the agent should always um, put that offer for you. Even when you go to an open house and the agent is not with you, aside from the fact that your agent should arrange your meeting with the other uh, selling agent, okay, aside from that, you should come in and say, hi, I have an agent, um, this is their information, and ensure that they get in touch because then it just gets ugly sometimes. You don't want to be in the middle. Um, but then, okay, so you go and you're presented by an agent and you decide that you like the house and you want to put the offer on the property. Uh, the agent should take it from there and then submit it. Once the offer is accepted, you want to ensure that you check the house, even if the house is beautiful and everything looks so perfect for you and you're super ready to move forward. You want to ensure that the house is put together to not only to your satisfaction, but behind closed doors, you'd be surprised how sometimes contractors or even homeowners are hiding stuff behind mm -hmm. the sheetrock just so, to save money. So, so Nina, <laughs> so, okay, so I'm buying a home yeah, and I love it. And yes. let's say they're asking for four ninety nine. Okay. Right, and I love the home. Four ninety nine. He goes for a low number. Yeah, just yeah. I mean, we know it's different, but, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just keeping it basic. The numbers yes. are just not for Brooklyn Queens. Just basic four ninety nine. Just, just the, and so you, you make, I make an offer of, yes. let's just say there's other people we're bidding against each other, and so I make an offer of five twenty, and they accept it. Mm -hmm. So you're offering. More, more than, than what they're asking, asking right. right? And so you, they, it gets accepted, yes. and we do the engineer report, mm -hmm. and it comes back with some issues, right? What, okay. what would you advise your clients to do? Okay, so you're right. You're doing a report, just not by engineer. Sometimes we get an engineer report whenever we feel like a house is settling or has some type of like water issues or foundation problems okay um so what we really who we really want to hire is a home inspector so okay. there are those who are home inspectors um and are also engineers for sure yeah. Yeah. yeah uh so you want to hire them but when do you want to hire them they charge you for it so you want to ensure that your agent is in the same um in the same line with the selling agent where they said, okay, we're going to accept your offer, send it in. Um, in Fiber Realty, for example, I make them sign that they're accepting our offer because it's not really 
ethical to make someone else pay eight, nine, sometimes a thousand or even more for a home inspection. And then they just they go and say, hi, give me a higher offer. No. Right. So even if I'm presenting the seller and my seller accepts it, and we're making the buyer's agent um, go for it. I make sure that they get it done because it's not all about the money. We want to be for you. So let's be clear. So yes. before you get to the inspection, yeah. you're in contract. Technically, um, you're in contract. No, no, because you want to do the inspection before the you contract, enter contract? Okay. to ensure that those terms are being placed in the contract. Um, if, for example, look, even even a roof. Okay, so you go and you find out that they patched the roof six times. You know, you're not supposed to patch a roof, for example, more than seven times. Yes. But you've seen six, you know, patched layers on the roof. So you say, okay, they patched the roof so many times and it's been more than 10 years and most likely in about a year or two, we're going to have a pretty nice leak up there. Maybe six months. Right. So you may want to mention things like that and change up the contract. So instead of changing the contract, you're going to do it beforehand and you're ensuring that once you have that report, then the agents go back and talk. By the way, that's one of the um, most exhausting things to do and go back and forth with the sellers and the buyers in case there are a lot of things in the report. Because sellers nowadays sell, right before the rates started going up, it was a super seller's market, right? Anyone would buy it, even sight unseen people would put up offers. Um, So back then, I'm talking a couple of months ago, the sellers um, used to guide me, at least me, said you know if they're placing an offer it's not contingent on any inspections this is how i'm selling it and this is how it's going to be take it or leave it so it's very frustrating where you know we have to tell them listen it is what it is either take it or go fly a kite so you know when i say <laughs> that um but whenever they do do the, you know, the report, you want to ensure that they're happy. Because after all, look, it's not all about selling it and shoving it for the money. Your name, you're putting your name on the transaction. You want to make sure that future business will come and your name is not going to just be, hey, oh, this one, she sold me such a bad house. No. And if there are any issues, they need to be addressed. They need to be negotiated, yes. included, removed, or in addition to crediting, um, with your offer. So yes, you should definitely do an inspection report before you go into contract and your agent should be there to negotiate it for you. Okay, so that to answer your question, what should and you that's, do and, and that's no. part of, that's where you really earn your money in these negotiations because you never know what you're going to see on that report. I wish, yeah. you know, some houses look really good until yeah. you peel that first layer. But sometimes the inspectors also exaggerate. Okay, sometimes they exaggerate um, to a whole different level. And of course, whenever you come and you tell to, you know, the the buyer's agent, look, why are they giving me so much hard time when, for example, the the dishwasher, okay, doesn't have the panel on top and you see that, like, you see the back of the kitchen through the thing. Okay, so that shouldn't hold you up from proceeding to contract. It should be addressed, for sure, but shouldn't hold you up. So, okay, sometimes that's when the agents come in. I feel like, you know how much I've done in terms of, like, fixing small things and not involving the seller because that's really what gets the deal moving forward. such a minor thing. So, 
and again, I'm not belittling any like bio requests ever, like whatever they ask no, for. No, but I'm just saying that should not right. stop the deal. Right, it shouldn't stop, but most likely when you're dealing with like, let's say a single family or sometimes two family house, it's a first time homeowner. Yeah. Okay. So they're afraid. They don't know some mm. of the nurses or like other individuals, professionals who are not in the real estate business at all. Nonetheless, no any construction work. They don't know how to fix it. They are going to think, oh, well, it's not built correctly. So sometimes you need to take the that capacity of work on you as a realtor and say, you know what? I got this. And there were many times where I hired my own people to do this work mm-hmm. um, just to save the headache and a bunch of time. So those small things in the reports, if it's one, two, three things that you know that that holds up your deal, yes, take it up on yourself, you as a realtor. But if you as a buyer see it in but various things and different type of work that needs to get done, that should be negotiated maybe as a lump sum of credit or the seller should just do it, get it done for you, put the provision in the contract, I mean the deal sheet that this will get done. And not only that, the caller earlier asked, how do you build trust? Well, these are the things we do for our clients that they may never even see. But we just want to make sure that when they move into their first, second, third house, whatever it is that we are responsible for the transition, that we, to the best of our ability, help with the transition and not stress them. Yeah. Because it is a very stressful change. It's, it's stressful in general. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a, it's a time of change. And so we want to smooth, want to smooth transition as best as we can. Yeah. A lot of the times when people, realtors, okay, who are in the business for many years, there is no better feeling mm-hmm. than to get a phone call from the son of, with the sister of, cousin of the guy that you sold the house to. Um, yes. No better feeling. That's really when you know, hey, this is my success. I know that um, they remembered me. I did good by them. And the referral is my best business card. So you want to do a good job. Regardless, in anything, you don't want to shove anything to anyone just for money in any profession. Um, you want to make sure that you're fair. Uh, no one's holding up anything against you in terms of what you sold them. Um, this is your word. I always say my word comes in front of me. If I give you my word, this is how it's going to be. This is very important that you deliver something to their satisfaction. And no, I'm not saying that everyone's perfect and everything is always, you know, the way, um, they want it to go. Um, there are always hiccups on the way, but overall people will remember if you did good by them. Unfortunately, some people remember the bad things you did by them. But you can control it all. You know, they say, if you want to satisfy everyone, go sell ice cream. Don't do it. <laughs> so, um, that's uh, important to do. And then on the flip side, when people become investors, when people buy their investment properties and start to build their legacy, yes. that is awesome. That's just as awesome as remembering them for um, buying their first house. And here at Five Borough, we get commercial, residential, we get all types of um, deals that come through for for someone buying on every level, whether it's your first business or your second business or first home or an apartment. Um, we have so much property. Like when you look us up, you'll see we have a lot of inventory and we continue to get a lot of inventory to help various 
from, like I said, first time home buyer or first time investor. Yeah, even businesses for sale. You know, yeah. we got a few, and people tell me all the time, you know, oh, is it the right time to buy right now? What are we going to do now the rates are going up? No, I'm not buying now. I was supposed to buy a month ago, but now the rates are double. Um, that shouldn't stop you because you buy for high now, you can refinance after. And when the rates are high, what goes up must come down. So it will go down, and you will be able to fix your rate. Um, if you really look at it and you calculate the difference of the older rate to the new rate, okay, the difference is not huge, all right? So that's what you should do. If you're afraid because people say that the rates are high, you compare it, ask mm -hmm. your questions, say, you know, tell me the difference of what it would be if I was on my 3.25. Now, I'm not talking about 1.99, okay? Mm -hmm or even the 1% that I had. And I had 1% buyers with, um, for example, that NACA program, which, yeah. by the way, you can ask me about it. You guys can reach out. And I uh, introduced that to a couple of uh, buyers. Um, so there was a program that offered uh, 1% rate, right? Now it went up, but that shouldn't stop you from purchasing. And just because now the rates are higher, and people are buying less, okay? Which, again, mm -hmm. I haven't seen less yet. Thankfully, it still goes on, and, you know, people still buy. I am looking for people um, just as much as I used to. But just because people tell you that, oh, the rates are high, I'm not buying, I'm afraid, mm -hmm. that's when you should be buying. Your money should be put in bricks and blocks. That's what I call it. Um, all the time. You mm -hmm. shouldn't stop because... Now of all times, sellers are starting to think twice about the uh, prices. You'll see some of the price drops um, around, you know, the five boroughs, and that's when you need. And I'm going to say that live. You need to take advantage. And and not only that, it's less of a bidding war. Yes. Because when you when you're in a different um, market when, where the interest rates are lower, you have way more buyers, and it, so you're up against you're bidding against someone else so right. you're going to get the property the property is going to sell for more than asking mm -hmm. as opposed to now where you may not have to go and bid higher so you'll get the property maybe you could even negotiate and get it below the asking price in this market yeah because you're not bidding sure. against a bunch of people mm -hmm. and so that's why people when they say oh it's a bad it's never a bad time there's pros and cons for every market yeah and unfortunately especially when you when you're looking for an investment property is a little different because you can turn something that doesn't look attractive into something attractive but when you're going for your first time your first home it's got to be magic for you so you yeah. fall in love with the property but then so to tell the people like me yeah so and that and then you I get into yeah, you get into bidding wars. <laughs> so so that's why it's just it's pros and cons. And so in this market right now, if you're shopping, it's, it's you have the edge to buy because you the competition isn't as much as it would be in a different market. Yes, take advantage and uh, go out there and purchase. Do your calculations, the rental income, if it's for you or not. You know, do your um, calculations and ensure that you're putting yourself into something good it in most cases 
the mortgage is not only being covered, but you have that 5% of the rental included, meaning whenever you purchase an investment property, you know, one of the expenses that you take into consideration, aside from taxes, insurance, or this and that, you take 5% off of the yearly rent, just in case in between tenants leaving and coming, um, to take that into consideration. So what I'm trying to say is, in most cases where you purchase an investment property, it still covers your 5%, even with today's rates. Yeah. Why? Because although the rates went up, the rentals also went up. Mm-hmm. So you're covered in any way. But then I don't, I always also warn buyers and sellers, they don't have to take the top, top uh, number of the rentals. They need to go conservative. So if you know that, for example, a two bedroom is $2,500 a month, go conservative, lower it to Mm $2,350. You know, so calculate it based on that and you'll be able to see that you're covering and you're still having that 5% um, reduction in case you um, you have the vacancy in between. And not only that, if you give a fair price, it's more competitive. You'll get more, you get more willing payers of that to come and you can choose and have more choices as opposed to just going for the max. And then you'll, you'll have very few takers and maybe the apartment will be on on the market to be rented for longer. Yes. Um, as for your taxes, um, homeowners, buyers, you should all know we have by March 15th to apply for the STAR program. Um, mm. Everyone, yeah, everyone are being reviewed. Not everyone's being considered. Um, but they're pretty fair to homeowners who are making income of think it's up to 110 don't quote me on that but they have a pretty good bracket for homeowners who are making specific amount of income i'm not talking you know the senior citizens or the veterans um or the disabled uh i'm talking about normal homeowners who own a house and happen to have their taxes on the higher level or not you could do it regardless you could apply for that and you're going to have your tax credits mailed out sometime in June for those who applied by March 15th. So that's another plus you guys should take into consideration. So, so yeah. So here we discuss um, creating legacy, um, protecting legacy, dealing with tenants, um, dealing with rentals. Um, I think the biggest challenge for like a first-time home like the first, not the first time home buyer, but the first time you buy your property, would you would you recommend a first time investor buy a property that already has tenants? So first time investor. So you're talking about someone who decides to just purchase his right. first home as an investment. Yes, of course. I mean, purchasing a house with tenants when it's an investment, you want to make sure that you get your package. Um, by whether or not you have a realtor, you want to make sure that you have a full package from each tenant, what they do, where they come from, meaning if they've been in the property for one, two, or three years, where they come from, do they have references, their income, 
verifying the income, there's a lot of fraud out there. Yes, okay? yes. Even uh, fraud to an extent of people's giving people's information mm-hmm. and to confirm in case they call. So us realtors, we have um, paid programs where we could verify. We could verify everything. Um, of course, it depends on the realty and the brokerage, if they, of course, paying for it, but it's worth everything. We don't really do rentals so much in our office, but we still have that program because if a buyer does go and purchase, you know, a property like you just mentioned, um, we run it for them and we ensure that the background check is there. We need to see um, the background check in terms of like court. Were they in eviction before? Yes. Do they have bad records? Um, Their employment. Their employment records, yeah, anything if they ever got in trouble otherwise for an extent, to an extent that they were arrested, even as little as a, you know, a license being suspended, whether they've been arrested. So that program is really, really helpful. So to answer your question, yes, purchasing with tenants is great. So in addition to the background check, um, you need to rerun their credits to see where they are and ensure that they're not going downhill. And you need to ask from the seller records. And that normally comes after a contract signing. Once you're in contract, you have your due diligence period where you say, okay, I'm buying a house with those tenants. I want to be able to see the income. So mm-hmm. give me, me at least, I would want um, at least six months um, to show income of the tenants. Yes. Some sellers would tell you, oh, you know, they pay me cash. Okay, they pay cash for how long? Oh, the whole year. All right, hold off on my contract. Yes. Let me hang out with you for like three, four months, and I'll just come around. You know, if they re- if they don't let you do that, then obviously they have something to hide. Not that we have so much time to spend and to waste. I'm sure buyers have better things to do than to walk around with the sellers to their uh, tenants every month. But you need to make sure of that. So that's if it's cash. If they tell you, oh, we'll show you invoices and receipts and all that, no. Um, and then, if of course, if it goes into their account, show me account records, where it's coming from. And now, if you're a first-time investor and you see a family, like let's say a two-family, a three-family, you're buying a multiple-family unit, or even a, even a single-family, let's say, and you want to renovate or you want to upgrade or you want to change, mm-hmm. it might not be best to buy a home that has a tenant in it, unless you can negotiate <clears throat> that the tenant is going to move out yeah. when you buy the property. Right. So that you'll get the keys to a vacant um, building so that you can make the necessary renovations. And right. Because you could buy it with the tenant, but they may not let you into the apartment to make your renovations or to do change. It becomes very complicated because again, it's, un- it's uncomfortable to live in a place that they're renting and you have a bunch of strangers, like from both sides. It's, it's, it's not about um, someone putting up a fight because they, it's just very complicated to let people in your house to make changes that you may not want. You may like your floor and don't want new floors or don't, um, and don't want that work done, but you bought the home wanting to make these renovations. And so that's where the complications lie when you're buying a home that you want to upgrade with people in it. Right. If they're happy where they are, 
and they're paying good rent, fine. But if they are on the lower side of the rent, and then they say, oh, you know, my whatever stove doesn't work mm -hmm. or whatever it is doesn't work, and it's a minor renovation or like replacement uh, in order for them to come to market value rent, fine, you can get it done. But if it's like 40% of the home, 50, right. 60% of the home, um, that needs to get done, yes, you can make an arrangement for them to leave and to come back after. Some people may not trust you, so you have to go net legal and you want to uh, put it in writing with the attorneys. However, if you do get a multi-unit property where one tenant lives in one, and then, for example, yesterday I was in this six-family house, right, mm -hmm. and a fire happened on the first floor. Meanwhile, all the tenants on the upper floors are staying. So in this type of situation, you need to pull permits and plans and to do everything by the book. You always need to do by the book, but I'm just saying when it comes to a fire, it's a whole other um, ballgame because... Um, you need to be able to do the work without hazardous conditions. So not all the time they will let you do the work while tenants are up there or not. Again, each case, you know, is different. You want to make sure you do all this due diligence before you go into the deal. And you have that thing where HPD makes you take back the tenant after you fix the house. Yeah. So you can't really fix it and then re-rent it to someone else. That tenant who was there before, if it's a you know six family, you're most likely falling under the rent stabilized. Um, you need to take that tenant back. Otherwise, if they don't want to come back, then it's something else. But you need to take them back. And in most cases I've seen, they're coming back to that apartment. And not only that, if it's rent stabilized, you have mandatory repairs that you have to meet every yeah. year. So you do, but that's a whole, that's, that's a different situation. That's mm -hmm. not you going in to buy. Like if it comes with that, then that's something you know. But I just mean in general, if you see a house and you love it, but you want to put new floors, you want to, you want to upgrade it. Make, let's say it's a decent apartment, but you want to create a luxury apartment and you want to create a luxury mm -hmm. building. It's very challenging to do that with tenants in the building. Yes. Um, and so I wouldn't advise to buy a building with those tenants and think you're going to make those changes. You're, you're heading for conflict. You used to be able to do renovations more than 50%, and then the city would tell you, oh, okay, since it's more than 50%, um, you have the ability to fill out paperwork and turn it into a free market. Um, not anymore, unfortunately. They mm -hmm. uh, are changing, and you could tell over time they're making it a little harder um, I didn't get why they would want to, uh, you know, to cancel that out. Um, but you used to be able to file for free market if you've done more than 50% of the renovations. So a lot of people don't know that either. I, I still have buyers reaching out to me and telling me, oh, that's a full guy good because then we'll be able to change it. No. So you definitely want to ask the right questions. Um, you need to ensure that uh, title, whatever title shows, HPD, the preservations, um, uh, the housing preservations are not holding anything against your property in terms of like, uh, for example, that fire instance, right? Um, they could have gotten, they could have taken the tenant out to shelter. Now, not only you're paying nightly service for that tenant who went to shelter mm -hmm. they're putting that against your property 
okay? And sometimes you don't even know. So yeah. I came to the realization that every time I sell even a two-family that I heard the tenants weren't happy, I call up my contact and I ensure there's no lien against the property because it doesn't come up on title report. You mm -hmm. go, you purchase a house, and you order a title. It doesn't show in your title report. And then after the fact, okay, after you already own the home, that could come up. And then who's responsible for that? You are. Yeah. So and then I saw somebody write that uh, renting is easier. I read an article, rent's going up. Yeah. So um, when you're at the mercy of someone else raising what you pay, and like I said, you could start off paying one amount in mortgage, and over time your mortgage decreases. I have yet to see someone renting where the rent becomes cheaper. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, and so um, and renting, yes, you're at the mercy of the landlord, and and the city is also raising the affordable rent as well. So it's not just, yeah. it's just, it, and it goes up, it doesn't go down. The vouchers went up. Yep. Um, I would love to stay and continue talking to you guys. Um, Chris, I had a lot of fun, but unfortunately yes. time is running out and that's it, it's already eight o'clock. Um, I had a blast. Yes, I had a blast. Um, you can reach us at Chris and Nina Real Estate Podcast on Instagram. Also, what's the um, Fiberall Realty? Yeah, you can you reach can, us uh, at um, Fiberall. Well, yeah, the eight five five number, uh, the eight five five three zero five deal. If you guys have any questions, um, feedback, um, just anything. Give and we're so questions. thankful for for you guys tuning in, and we look forward to talking to you next week when we talk about cash buying and other investment fun things to talk about. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> We're here for you. Thank you guys. Have a good night. Bye. Good night.